Good morning. Happy holiday week. Good to have all of you here. Thanks for joining us. My name is Stephen. Uh, we're in a series called Exceedingly Righteous, where we're uh, studying through what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount and comparing the Pharisee or the righteousness of the Pharisees uh, with the righteousness of the kingdom of God. And so what happens here is Jesus says, you've heard this, but now let me tell you this. And what Jesus is not doing is eliminating what was before. He's helping us to fully understand or grasp what was actually being said before. And then through the centuries, the Pharisees, manipulated what was originally taught to create a righteousness that looked righteous on the outside, but wasn't actually righteous on the inside. You heard the passage that we'll be discussing this morning. Before we get into that, we're going to play a little game here on this holiday weekend. This little game is called Two Truths and a Lie. And so if you know what this game is, I'm going to present to you two truthful statements and one statement that is a full-on lie, and it is your job to pick which one it is. Now, I've taught on some of these truths, okay, that are going to be up there. So if you've heard me teach on them, don't yell out your answer, okay, because that would be cheating. So go ahead and throw them all up there. Two of these things are true. One of them is a lie. The first one is I once, my, and a friend actually, rode on a motorbike um, from New Jersey all the way to Utah. That was quite a trip and a story for a different day. Uh, secondly, I drove a car when I was two years old, freaked my mom out, went from the driveway to the park under the jungle gym. That was an experience. I don't remember it, obviously. Uh, it was more for, I guess, her than me. She wasn't in the car, by the way. My mom's not a horrible mom. Okay. Um, and third, um, I once performed surgery on a friend after another friend shot him in the head with a BB gun. That also is an incredible story that I will share. All of these are actually great stories. Okay. Now, two of these are true. One of them is a lie. Lock in your answer. Got it? You got three seconds. Two, one. Okay. I actually... I don't know. No, okay, there it is. Okay, that one's a lie. All right, did anyone think that was the truth? Was a truth. Anyone think that was the truth? Okay, that's actually the plot line from the movie Dumb and Dumber, okay? Um, so if you pick that, I don't know what that makes you. But um, yeah, so uh, Harry and Lloyd did that. I did not. Um, the other two are actually true. I did drive a car when I was two years old. Okay, good story. And also um, four friends and I, or three friends and I were once out. This was in sixth grade. Somebody got shot in the head with a BB gun and we performed surgery. And that is an incredible story. And if you stick around long enough, I will share it at some points. Okay, so two truths and a lie. We live in a culture where we actually have an entire... Um, section of news that we refer to as fake news or false news. If you're older uh, than like 20 or something, um, then you remember a time when um, people would accuse our standing president uh, as committing perjury, okay? We live in another time where we have a um, current political environment where nobody knows what is true. I'm not trying to make political statements, but nobody knows what is true or not true. And for the most part, we've kind of just thrown our hands up in the air and said, no one cares anymore. It doesn't matter what you can prove because everybody just thinks everybody else is lying about the party that they don't agree with. And so we've almost thrown our hands up and asked the question, can we really know what is true at all anymore? And we live in an environment where truth-telling is probably at an all-time low. And so what Jesus speaks here, I think, is incredibly relevant 
incredibly relevant into a culture where uh, the truth or what is the truth or or can I believe what you're saying uh, seems to be at an all-time low in credibility. This comes out of uh, we see here in Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. So like Jesus has done, he's referring back to an older time, a previous time, uh, back in, into the time of Moses. And he's saying, you heard that this was said. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, that particular line is nowhere in the Old Testament verbatim. What that is, is a collection of a couple of different verses all throughout the um, Old Testament, mostly in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then some in the Psalms where David writes about, and then Solomon also writes pretty extensively on the idea of oaths and vows and telling the truth. And so uh, they kind of sum it up. Jesus sums all of that up, and he says, you've heard that it was said at one point in time, you should tell the truth. Now, that's actually pretty good advice, that you should be a truth teller. He said, you've heard that it was said. Now, Jesus is going to go on to say what's really true. Now, here's why they said that. In in the Old Testament, uh, again, they were in a culture that, let's be honest, probably wasn't too much different than ours, where where truth-telling was low. And so what they did is they created this system where if you swore an oath, then we are expecting that you're telling the truth. They almost had this like system where if you didn't swear on an oath, then if you were lying, it's not that big of a deal. But if you swore on an oath, well, then you better be telling the truth. You better be telling the truth. And so they created this whole system of oaths and vows. Now you're going to see here, it says, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So we're actually seeing two different types of agreements throughout this teaching. The first is what would be referred to as an oath. An oath was something between two humans, where you would say, I'm going to do this or not do this. A vow was between God and man. A vow would typically work like this way. Maybe you have found yourself doing this. God, if you give me this job, I'll be a tither. God, if you give me this person in marriage or to date or whatever it might be, I will fill in the blank. And so you make this agreement with God. That's what a vow is. And the expectation was that if you made an oath, you between another person, or you made a vow, that you would keep it. Jesus speaks into this then. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Either, well, let me, before I get into that list, some people have um, taken this to mean that as Christians, we shouldn't even put our hand on the Bible when we're in a courtroom. Don't take an oath on anything. Um, I think that's a stretch and that's not actually where the text is going. So let's see where Jesus takes it. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What's Jesus getting at here? Well, first off, let me explain the text, and let me take what I think Jesus is really going after. First off, he's explaining four things that commonly people would swear by in those days. They'd swear by heaven, they'd uh, swear by the earth, they'd swear by the city of Jerusalem, and they'd swear uh, on themselves, basically, or their own intelligence, and it was a common way of doing it. Here's what the Pharisees were doing. Okay, remember, we're contrasting what the Pharisees would do with what we should do in the kingdom. The Pharisees would say, well, I swear by heaven. 
But they wouldn't say, I swear by heaven, which is where God resides. So they'd leave out the God part in any of their swearing. And so when it came down to whether or not they were going to keep up to their word, they would say, well, I didn't say by God, so it doesn't count. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you say that you would do something and then you say, ah, mm -mm, my fingers were crossed. doesn't matter. Or it's opposite day, so I don't have to do it. Or whatever other weird little um, way you would use to get out of your obligation to the truth. And so the Pharisees were looking for whatever way they could do to still uphold the law, because if you swore by God, then you should um, uphold it like according to the law. But if you just swore by something that reminded people of God, but you didn't actually go all the way through it, then you could still sneak out of it and be okay. In other words, they were trying to be as deceptive as possible, as dirty as possible without breaking the law. So this is what Jesus steps into. You have all of the people who are religious, all of these religious leaders, and Jesus looks into them and says, you're not uh, any more trustworthy than people who aren't of the faith. In other words, you're just as dishonest as those who are, aren't of faith. That recognition, by the way, I think should make us pause for a second are Christian businessmen. Just as dirty, just as dishonest as non-Christian ones. Are Christian people who claim faith in Christ just as apt to break their word, to break their covenant, to break their commitment, to say, yeah, I'll do it, and then not. To say, I'll never do that, and then to do. And this is what Jesus is getting at. By the way, the reason he's saying, but I said, you do not take an oath by any of these things, those four things that he listed. He's saying that because he's saying, I own all of those things anyway. I own all of those things anyway. And so when you swear by him, you're really swearing by me because they're all mine anyway. So then Jesus gets into his point. He says this. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Said another way, let who you are be honest. Let what you front be who you actually are. This passage of scripture is connected to another passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, it's Jesus's most um, long and maybe most intense rant. I mean, he goes after the Pharisees. He calls them brood of vipers. He uses other strong words. It's that particular text where the word hypocrite begins to emerge. And basically what he's attacking is fronting as one thing and being something else. Let what you say, let who you are be simply yes or no. This word simply. What Jesus was attacking in the Pharisees is this. 
Don't try to manipulate, trick, and deceive situations where you can be as deceptive as possible, but still to the letter of the law be okay. He says, get rid of all the distraction. Make it simple. Are you who you say you are? Are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Or aren't you? Or won't you? I want to talk about a couple of areas where I think this affects us most. I think underneath this text is this idea of being people that are prone to deceive and manipulate. If you've ever noticed your own nature, if you've ever been honest with yourself, you might see inside of yourself this tendency to deceive or manipulate. I think we do this in two ways, three ways, actually. (laughs) I think one way we do this is up. We actually try to deceive or manipulate God. God, have you seen me lately? I went to church. I went to church on a holiday weekend. I've been picking up litter that I see on the ground, Lord. I gave some money last week. And it's this deception game that we play with God where we um, uh, try for this little season to do good and to do right and to do all of the things that we're supposed to do because inside we're thinking, I'm deceiving him and I hope now he'll bless me. And so we front with God. If I just behave for a little bit, God will be happy. I'll get him. Or sometimes we do this with others. We deceive or, or we manipulate. Now there's this, um, this, this dirty thing inside of us in our interactions with other people where we are prone to manipulate situations. Where we're prone to make ourselves look as good as possible at all times in our conversation. I mean, sometimes it's funny. If you notice, you'll do it in even the most simple ways. Like uh, maybe you got a, a bonus at work and you're kind of bragging about it and it was $150. And what do you say? 200 It's so unnecessary. It's such an unnecessary little lie. But there's this thing inside of us that wants to always make ourselves look just a little bit better. And so we just throw on something to just add to it a little bit. Let's make it look a little bit. Let's embellish a little bit. Let's add a little bit. So I look a little bit better. Or in the nature of our relationships, we learn. I think we do this at an early age, right? My my nine-month-old daughter is already learning this. can see it in her, right? How do I manipulate a situation? How do I manipulate a relationship? Inside, I'm thinking or feeling one thing about somebody, but I front in such a way or I say certain things or interact with people in certain ways because I have this master plan that you're working and it's all based on this manipulation or deception. And Jesus is trying to cut through all that. He's saying, no, 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 no. Simply be yes or no. Be who you are. I had this funny interaction a couple of years ago. 
where I was doing some like business research for a friend. He wanted to be a, a wholesale used tire dealer, okay? And so there's like 30 used tire stores around the city of Toledo. And he wanted me to go visit all of them, right? And see if they had a need for a wholesale dealer. If you know anything about used tire stores, they're not always in the best parts of town. Okay, And so as a 24-year-old, I got into my car and I was driving all around the city of Toledo into some places that, quite frankly, I've just never been before. Okay, And I roll into this one and I walk into this warehouse and um, there's these two very scary dogs sitting out front. And uh, these two guys approach me who apparently own this place and they start asking me why I'm there. And I start giving them my response to why I'm there. Oh, we're bringing the semi-truck in and uh, and there's going to be all these used tires, and we'll sell them to you at this price, and all these sizes, and everything like that. And he's like, where's your warehouse? And I'm like, oh, we don't have it yet. We're going to bring it in. He's like, where's your store? And we don't have it yet. We're going to bring it in. He's like, now, where are the tires now? And I'm like, we don't have them yet. We're bringing them in. And he looks at me, he goes, you ain't even real. And I just looked at him like, I don't know what that means. And he goes, you ain't even real. And he just kept saying this to me, all right? And I'm like, no, we're going to do this. He goes, you ain't even real, to the point where he just started yelling at me. So I just kind of slowly walked out, okay, and left with his words, like, um, following me to my car. You ain't even real. This is what he was saying. He's saying, you're fronting something that you're not, You're fronting like you have this business that's set up and established and it isn't even real. In other words, he was saying to me, stop fronting, come back when it's real. In this passage, Jesus is getting at the deceptive nature of our hearts. The things that we front, for whatever reason, underneath. For the Pharisees, they would manipulate the situation and they would watch it unfold. And if it was going to be advantageous for them, then they would stick to their word. But if it wasn't, then they would use an escape clause that they had built into the front end to get out of it. And Jesus is saying, that's deceptive. It's not even real saying, I'm saying to you, be a simply a yes or a no type of person. Front what you actually are. Let me give a couple examples. Sometimes we front a faith that we don't even really believe. Sometimes we try to front uh, an income or a wealth status that we haven't earned. We, we front with our language a certain status that we've never learned. We front these um, positions of who we are and it's not even real. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Let who you are be simply yes or no. A modern language word for this is uh, be a person of integrity. Be a person of integrity. Stop deceiving. Stop manipulating. Stop fronting. Be who you are. Now, another part of this 
when he says, let what you say be simply yes or no, he's, Jesus is simply asking a very straightforward question. Does your word mean anything? Does your word mean anything? Like if you say yes, does that mean yes? If you say no, does that mean you won't? Now here's what's interesting. Not just whether or not you're a person of your word or not. That, that, that is important, of course. And in all areas of our life, right? In, in our personal lives, in our spiritual lives, in our business lives, all areas. Are you a person of your word? If you said it, will you do it? If you said, I'm going to give you this scope of work, do you provide it? If you said, I'm going to pay you this amount of money, do you pay it? But more than that, here's what's interesting. The very next line, Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Anything more than this comes from evil. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, when you don't live simply yes or no, what's coming out is the evil tendency of your heart. Said another way, when you break your word, it reveals the evil underneath. Let me give you an example. The vow you made to God. God, if you give me this job, I'm going to be super generous. And then all of a sudden you get the job, right? God upheld his end of the bargain, at least in your little conversation with him. And then all of a sudden the money starts entering into your bank account. And what do you do? Uh, I, God, I was, I was kidding. <laughs> you knew that, right? Why? Because then all of a sudden greed. <laughs> the evil now is beginning to show. See, the, the, the thing that we're willing to break our word over reveals to us the thing that we value more than our righteousness. And so when he said, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there, because in the moment you value being looked at the type of person that can always be helpful or will always please whoever's on the other end. But then when it actually came time to show up, you're like, no, nah, I don't really want to go there. Why? Because in that moment you valued your time more than your word. What we're willing to break our word over typically reveals what we worship deeper. He says it all comes from evil. You made a commitment to that person in marriage and then from evil, you break that commitment. Why? Because in that moment, you valued something deeper than that commitment. The evil comes out. Whatever, you can apply it to your situation. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So what do we need? What do we need? How do you live lives of, of honesty, of fullness, of integrity? And there's two things we have to have. I think we have to have a deep security and we have to have something that we deeply value. Let me explain. First off, we have to see the oath and the vow that we're a part of that's greater than ourselves. So in the beginning, 
All right, there's three segments of scripture. It's a very broad statement, but you have the, uh, before the fall, you have the old covenant and you have the new covenant. Now in all three of those covenants, there's a promise or a vow that is made. Here's the vow. If you obey, you'll be in relationship with me. What happens in all three? <laughs> we break the covenant every time, right? If you obey, then you'll be in relationship with me. In the garden, we break it. In the old covenant, we break it. In the new covenant, we break it. And what does it lead to in all three of them? Death. In the old covenant, we break it, death enters in. I'm sorry, in the, in the garden. In the old covenant, we break it, death enters in. In the new covenant, we break it, death enters in. So there's a vow made by God, a commitment, an oath between us and God, right? If you follow, then I will. We break it every single time. Death then comes in. What happens every time? In the midst of the death, God makes another covenant that even in the midst of us breaking the covenant, we'll restore relationship. So in the first time in the fall, in Genesis chapter three, he points to a time and he makes a covenant on a time when life will defeat death, when a savior redeemer will come. In the Old Testament, through a system of sacrifice and death, he, he sets this up to point to a time where something will come, where a covenant will come and he will keep his word. Now Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus begins saying something. What does he say? Over and over and over and over. And it causes the most tension in his ministry. He says, one day I'm going to have to die. He says something. He makes a an oath. He makes a covenant, a, a commitment to the people out in front of him, to the people that he's, he's with. And he says, one day I'm going to have to die. Now, in one particular moment, what does Peter say when, when Jesus says that? When Jesus is making his oath, you know what Peter says? He says, don't say that. Don't say that, Jesus. Don't, don't say that. And Jesus responds to him incredibly harshly. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And for so long, I've never understood why Jesus was so harsh when he was um, responding to Peter until I was looking at this passage. Because what Jesus is saying in that moment is, Peter, when you rebuke this, you're telling me to not be a God of my word. You're telling me to be the type of God that wouldn't keep my covenants. And to not keep my covenant comes from where? From evil. And so what you're telling me to do, Peter, is to change my word. That comes from evil. In fact, Peter, what you're doing right now is you're going all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3, and you're saying from the beginning, God's word can't be trusted. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus, who's been predicting his death, who's been making this commitment, this covenant, this vow, that he's going to offer up his life, he then gets arrested and he's going to the cross and he's in front of Pilate. And in that moment, Pilate gives him an escape route. An escape route from his word. Now, all along, the Pharisees and their righteousness always looked for an escape route. And the moment you gave them an escape route, they'd step out of it. So now you hear you have Jesus in the most intense moment 
And Pilate gives him an escape route to step out and to not keep his word. And what does he do? He says nothing. He won't take it. Why? Because we take our escape routes because it reveals what we most deeply value in that moment more than our word. Jesus didn't take the escape route because it revealed what he most deeply valued, which was what? Obedience to his heavenly father and the creation of the kingdom. So Jesus is given this moment to break his covenant and he doesn't. Instead, he goes to the cross, he gives his life and he secures the vow that God made to us all along. You have to see in Jesus keeping his word. You have to see in Jesus valuing his word and you most deeply more than his own life. You have to see in that a a, a security in his love and an identity and how he values you that allows you to be so secure and, and to have your identity in him that you no longer have to front something else. Let me show you how this works. I don't have to stand in front of you and pretend like I have everything together because I'm so secure in who I am in Christ. And so you shouldn't either. So you don't have to be a part of a church and front something that you're not because you should be so secure in Jesus. When, when the moment comes where I could lie or cheat, now I'm talking hypothetically, not necessarily just for me. When a moment comes where you or I could lie or cheat or, or just skirt the law enough and it would make us a little bit more money. It would, it would make me succeed a little bit better. Well, I don't have to. Why? Because I value what I have now in Christ more than anything that that would give me so I can uphold the spirit of integrity. See, it's only when you're so secure in how much Christ was willing to value you to keep his word that you can then become an honest person where you don't have to front or lie or cheat anymore because of what you have in him. Now, when we sing songs about how the cross has set us free, This is exactly what I think it's talking about. The cross has set us free from sin. Yes, but what it has set us free from is having to live lives that aren't even real. From having to live lives where we may practice deceit or deception or manipulation or cheat the law a little bit to gain something. We're free from that because we have found something that we value deeper. So I don't have to cheat anymore. This, friends, is the most freeing way to live. It is the most freeing way to live because you don't have to front anymore. You are simply you and your word is your word. And the moment it comes where you would think, oh, I could break it for something that would be my advantage. Like, I don't need that. I don't need that. I have something that I value deeper. 